I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Said Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. Hello and welcome back to Mid-Atlantic. As you've probably heard me say before, uh, Mid-Atlantic is part of the Agora Podcast Network, a network of great independently produced podcasts from all over the world. Uh, Each month we nominate a show specifically to promote, and this month is Dominic Perry's excellent The History of Egypt podcast. Um, Why don't you go over to the Agora Podcast Network or to iTunes or Stitcher or a podcatcher of your choice today to give it a listen. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown. Today I'm joined by Paul Hilder, a co-founder of Crowdpack, the crowdfunding political platform that is aiming to weaken the big hold of the money interests in politics on both sides of the Atlantic. Hello Paul, how are you? I'm very well, great to be on the show Royfield. Paul, it's been a, a tumultuous month in UK politics. How has that reverberated and how has that showed itself in the work of Crowdpack and the action on the platform in the last month? Well, we, we saw uh, an extraordinary uh, upsurge of energy uh, in this UK election uh, from really a standing start. Uh, so you know, the election was called with about seven weeks um, notice, uh, why they call it a snap election, uh, and initially it seemed like it was a foregone conclusion. Um, and I think there are lots of reasons why um, the result ended up surprising everybody. But one of the big reasons was that lots of people um, started uh, you know, looking at the prospect of a conservative landscape, and um, uh, which, which many of them were, were uncomfortable with. And for one reason or another, whether it was that, whether it was getting excited about a left-wing uh, alternative from the Labour Party uh, and, and a bit of hope and change uh, being promised there, uh, or whether it was thinking about tactical voting, people, people just started getting involved. So we saw that uh, on Crowdpack with an awful lot of uh, 
crowdfunding campaigns, small and large. One of the largest uh, was the Momentum crowdfunding campaign. They actually, this is the movement behind Jeremy Corbyn, and they ended up raising over 120,000 on our platform uh, in order to power lots of their uh, innovative uh, organizing efforts and new technology platforms like the Mind Nearest not Marginal website. Then there were lots of other um, campaigns, the Progressive Alliance campaign, uh, Tactical 2017 campaign together, all of which were um, doing kind of non-party uh, interventions, mobilizing people, raising money. Um, uh, and lots of these campaigns ended up getting reach of millions of people on, on social media. Um, so I think a huge part of what happened uh, in this general election really was a combination of crowdfunding, movement mobilization and organizing, tactical voting, uh, knocking on doors, sharing messages and videos with each other on Facebook and, and changing the uh, nature of the political conversation in the UK in a much more horizontal and hot-up way than we've ever seen before. Lots of people would have told you campaigns don't change politics. Um, you know, that, that it's all baked before you start, pretty much. Um, uh, and what just happened in the UK gave the light of that. Okay. All right. So you have um, a crowdfunding platform. Um, what is the story behind Crowdpack? So Crowdpack is really uh, trying to contribute to a more citizen-centric, uh, a more open, uh, a more empowered politics. Uh, part of our analysis is that um, politics, it's stuck in the past, um, uh, that there is a sort of a, a cartel-like set of institutions who've locked up politics for a long time, um, and that it ought to serve citizens more than it has traditionally. Um, and so we're trying to empower people um, in a few different ways. Crowdpack actually started uh, with much more of a data and voter information uh, offering, uh, which um, is still a big part of what we do. So our co-founder, um, Adam Bonica, had an algorithm which mapped uh, politicians in the U.S., based on a variety of different data points, did basically big data analysis of politicians and their votes in Congress, the things that they say, um, uh, and uh, critically where their money comes from. Um, uh, and we started building in social network mapping uh, as well to this. Uh, one of the things that we found is that in the US, 92% uh, of votes in Congress end up being explained by political donations that a candidate uh, has received, which is quite a quite a scary number. Um, so part of Crowdpack is really about providing objective data uh, to help people understand where politicians are and then find the people who are closest to your own views. Uh, and this is, you know, we do questionnaires, we provide profiles of, of politicians. So that's, that's a piece of it. It's about democratizing uh, and opening up the, the voting process. Another piece of it is about uh, political crowdfunding, really making it easy for anybody, but in particular, uh, new challengers and insurgents to very rapidly raise the money uh, to have an impact in politics, because the reality is votes are very important. Money is also very important, uh, particularly important in the US, but important pretty much anywhere if you want to create political change or influence the, the people who end up representing you. And that we want to shift the balance between big, opaque, and sometimes corrupt 
capital C or, or lowercase c money and uh, small donations, um, uh, which we think is a much more democratic way uh, of funding things. And that's really been one of the big uh, trends starting to emerge in politics anyway. We want to accelerate that and universalize it. Um, uh, and then the final thing that we do, which is linked to that crowdfunding piece of the offering, is helping people to run for office. Um, uh, and one of the things that we enable is you can nominate anybody for any post in the country. So, you know, I, I, you or I could nominate our favorite uh, candidates for the leadership of the Liberal Democrats or the Conservatives right now, uh, if we thought there should be such a race, and then start raising pledges of donations even before that person has actually declared. So we, we make it possible to draft people uh, into office um, uh, and to uh, get over the friction which often exists uh, in terms of getting a campaign started and getting the resources together to make that possible. Um, there's a fantastic example of a doctor called Catherine Allen uh, in the United States, challenging Jason Chaffetz, one of the uh, incumbent and very powerful House Republicans um, in Congress, uh, and ended up raising over half a million dollars and, and declaring her run and now being the front runner. Uh, Chaffetz has subsequently declared that he will no longer be standing. Um, so you can shake things up quite rapidly. According to a report by the Associated Press, the Democratic opponent for Utah GOP Representative Jason Chaffetz's seat in Congress has suddenly raised nearly half a million dollars. Even though the election is more than a year away, Dr. Catherine Allen is tapping into anger over Chaffetz's recent comments on people spending money for health insurance instead of buying iPhones. Chaffetz soon admitted that his point about people being self-reliant didn't come out as smoothly as he would have liked. Allen, who was running for office for the first time in a heavily Republican congressional district, has raised approximately $467,000. People who might not traditionally have been thought of as um, people who could get into the political process uh, because you know you, you need a particular uh, set of political sponsors or, or, or a track record or um, you need to play the game in a certain way, uh, suddenly the process should open up to them. So th these are the three things that we do at the moment. It's the crowdfunding, the running for office, and the voter information uh, piece of things. We want to do more in future, but, but the underlying vision for all of this is how do we open up politics? Uh, how do we make it more accessible um, uh, and more responsive to, to citizens? I think looking at things from a British perspective, we always think that UK politics is not free of um, large donations, but compared to American cousins, it, it's much freer of it. Um, it's kind of interesting that you said that CryPAC started because of a, a need and a a need to kind of look at um, the US kind of election scene. Tell us about how you actually met your, your co-founder uh, and, and, and specifically how you guys actually formed the, the strategy behind CrowdPack and then how maybe the, the UK arm then kind of evolved from there. Yeah, so there's um, there's four co-founders of, of CrowdPack. Steve Hilton, uh, who uh, is a name who will be familiar particularly to, to Brits, increasingly to Americans as well, since he's just started doing a Fox News uh, TV show called The Next Revolution. Um, he obviously was uh, David Cameron's 
lead strategist, one of the big voices uh, for Brexit, the champion of big society, uh, and a really, you know, fascinating uh, and, um, uh, and and uh, forward-thinking um, uh, person on the right of politics. I'm from the left, um, uh, so we come from different political families, uh, but I found him very good to work with. Um, uh, Giselle Cordestani, who comes from a background of um, uh, being a senior executive at Google, very well-funded in that Silicon Valley environment, and Adam Benica, who I mentioned before, who's a um, political scientist and data scientist uh, from Stanford. Uh, I, I actually came on board slightly later. Um, uh, they'd already started doing the voter information, were starting to think about the crowdfunding. I'm the international co-founder. When I first sat down with Steve, I wasn't entirely sure what to expect. He has a certain reputation. Uh, there was a famously a character um, in the, uh, in the TV thick of drama, it. The Thick of It, uh, uh, who was what I found was based on him. Uh, somebody who uh, has a very open and curious mind, who has a, a very strong critique from the other side of politics to me of uh, some of the ways that the status quo of politics is broken, and who is very serious about empowering citizens uh, to challenge that status quo uh, and to fix it. Um, and somebody who's, who's, I think, basically authentic. Um, uh, so, um, you know, it wasn't, wasn't a hard decision to, to start working with him on Crowdpack and, and building it together. The problem with politics and government is that it's all just got too big and bureaucratic and removed from the human scale. The bigger and more bureaucratic it's all got, the easier it is for the big businesses and the giant corporations to actually control the political system and literally buy the outcomes that they want. People can't control the things that matter to them. They have this really strong sense that someone else, somewhere else, is making the decisions. People just are sick of this system that doesn't seem to be responsive to their needs. So what are we going to do about it? I think we've just got to blow the whole thing up We've got to take this concentration of power in the hands of people at the federal government, in the big bureaucracies, and just put power back where it belongs, in people's hands. And that means a radical decentralization of politics, not just to the state, not just to the local level, but actually to the neighborhood level. Neighborhoods should have control over the things that matter to them, like schools, for example, because it's at the neighborhood level that people really relate to each other as human beings. And then only as things become impossible at that level should we allow power to go higher and higher. So we, we first launched um, in the UK uh, around the time of uh, last year's mayoral elections, actually, so relatively recently, uh, over on this side of the pond, um, uh, and they did a lot of work around the referendum, had three quarters of a million people use our tool to inform their vote in the referendum, uh, and uh, and then did some work around this general election and, and various other things. Um, we've also recently launched in France uh, and uh, played a quite an important role in the presidential elections, a little bit in the legislatives as well there. It's kind of it's kind of interesting that I suppose then baked into the very DNA of Crowdpack is that it's politically agnostic. Would that be fairly safe to say? Yeah, so we're an open platform uh, which pretty much anyone can use. Our approach, I've worked in various different contexts. I've worked with open platforms like Crowdpack and Change.org uh, and I've worked with movements and organisations which are more politically um, uh, progressive or, or partisan or left-wing 
Uh, I think both of these things are important. Uh, I do think that there is a particular role for open platforms for nonpartisan efforts uh, to really try and um, shift some of the rules of the game of the way in which the whole system works. Uh, and then, you know, it's down to people who are who are working in a more politicized or, or partisan or um, uh, engaged context uh, to actually run the campaigns, have the arguments that um, uh, that lead to us reshaping society in a in a better form. Um, so I think both of these things are important: doing the rules of the game stuff and doing uh, actually more politically engaged projects. So if I am a libertarian or if I have, let's say, an alt-right agenda, I can still use the platform? Yeah, so that that is absolutely uh, possible. And I think it's fair to say, if you just look at the mix of campaigns we've had over the last year and a half in the US and the UK, you will see a diversity of political sectors. You will see more stuff that's sort of on the left than, than on the right at the moment. And I don't know whether that's a factor of people on the left being a bit ahead of the game when it comes to movements and bottom-up organising, um, or whether it's the fact that the right is in power in both of these countries mm-hmm. uh, at the moment. Um, uh, there are certainly uh, things that we wouldn't accept on the platform. I think you know, overt hate uh, is... Is, is a line we would draw. So, you know, you mentioned the alt-right and there are certainly components of the alt-right who I don't think would find Crowdpat particularly hospitable to them. Uh, but this is not a, a challenge we've actually had to face thus far. Okay. And, um, well, it's like an incredibly obvious question, but you are a for-profit organisation. So you are, so your business model is that you're taking a small percentage off of what is gained for campaigns? That's right, yeah. So, um, I mean, basically, we, we operate in quite a similar way to other crowdfunding platforms uh, by taking a percentage of transactions. Um, in the US last year, we started experimenting with a uh, basically a, a recommended but voluntary contribution, uh, which is different to most crowdfunding platforms. Uh, and um, we found that was very successful, actually. The large majority of people... Uh, would follow through and, and give us the recommended but voluntary amount. Uh, we call it a, a tip. Um, uh, and I like that revenue model. It feels really user aligned. Uh, so if we're delivering value to people, um, then uh, then we get a small amount of revenue that can help support uh, our platform as a whole and the voter information stuff we do, which is free, as well as the, uh, the campaigns that we support. Um, uh, you know, and I think that um, there is a sustainable business to be built out of this. If we can uh, fundamentally disrupt the way in which uh, political funding operates in the U.S., in Brazil, in in in, in other countries, um, then you're talking about shifting uh, billions of dollars, stroke, you know, pounds worth um, from the big opaque corrupt ecosystem uh, of political money into something much more open and dynamic. Um, so, Paul, uh, are, then, are, yeah. are, are the Koch brothers gunning for you? Is that is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, we're kind of gunning for the Koch brothers, and, and pretty much anyone who uh, who, who lives within that 
ecosystem of you know, what Steve sometimes likes to call the swamp. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the established uh, big opaque corrupt <laughs> world of money uh, in politics. Um, we are trying to uh, create an ecosystem where politics is funded and responsive to, <laughs> funded by and responsive to citizens instead of um, a very small class of political donors who are generally um, uh, very wealthy um, in one way or another. Now, you know, you can also, uh, and, you know, Steve would, would say this from his side of politics, you can challenge the trade unions and their role and how responsive, democratic, open are they. I think there's a case to be made for trade unions and their role in political funding. But I also think that it's a much healthier model of political funding uh, for uh party members and uh, supporters of particular candidates or causes uh, to be um, uh, to be the people who are in large numbers uh, funding, supporting and then holding accountable uh, the campaign and the candidates. Uh, so you know, it's just a different way of doing politics. And if you look at you know, the, the way in which over the last uh, five, 10 years, the hedge funds uh, have been primary uh, funders of the Conservative Party um, and Labour very, very dependent on the trade unions. I'm not sure how healthy that is. And I speak as somebody who was a candidate to be general secretary of the Labour Party. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seems the biggest insult you can say about someone wanting to represent constituents in Washington is that the candidate represents Washington and not everybody else. And that is the charge now that is being leveled by Republicans at 6th District frontrunner John Ossoff, for example, by Karen Handel at Wednesday's debate. I'm proud that I have built a diverse coalition that spans the political spectrum here in Georgia. And let's be realistic. $4 million was not raised in 10, 20, $30 increments. He is being bankrolled by Nancy Pelosi and the liberal left. We can now verify where the funds are coming from. Ossoff's campaign finance disclosures were released late last night. Matt Pearl poured through all the 17,000 pages today. Matt? Yeah, we verified our data from the Federal Election Commission. The fundraising numbers on John Ossoff are staggering. So is the amount of fundraising being done from outside the state of Georgia. Let's start with the overall numbers. John Ossoff's campaign has raised a remarkable $8.3 million in just three months. For context, that's more than former 6th District Congressman Tom Price raised in his last three campaigns spanning six years. Well, we crunched the numbers. Check it out. Just 6% of Ossoff's donors live in Georgia, and it's just the fourth largest state in terms of number of donations. He had more from Massachusetts, New York, nearly four times as many from California as he had from Georgia. That, by the way, only covers what we're able to see. The majority of Ossoff's donations are under $200, which means they don't need to be itemized for federal reports. That means we can't see who or where they're from. Before we look at kind of specific campaigns, um, we just had the Georgia 6 Congressional Special District election. Um, John Ossoff rose... Uh, raised sorry a lot of money but still managed to just lose was was crowd pack part of the democratic funded kind of party effort there no we didn't really play a role in that um i, I think that the ossoff campaign was it operated more in the older ecosystem than the newer ecosystem i think there are a lot of small donations which went into the campaign 
but you'll hear a lot of people in the U.S. complaining about the um, the practices the Ossoff campaign used around that, basically guilt-tripping people or stressing them out, a, a sort of churn-and-burn approach uh, to fundraising rather than building a sustainable movement. Um, uh, and, um, you know, the scale of it, I think it was over 40 million uh, for that campaign, um, uh, is just remarkable. Um, so, yeah, we didn't, we didn't really play a role in that. We tend to play more of a role um, in smaller campaigns, primary campaigns, early stage uh, insurgent campaigns. That's the part of the market that we're um, more interested in right now in the US, partly because um, uh, we think the impact is, is potentially greater there. So you've been, you've been in the States a little bit longer than you've been in the UK. Uh, I'm That's presuming right. that, that the, your cell is much easier in the United States because part of their political culture baked into it is, is fundraising in a way that there isn't in the UK. Would, th- would that be a fairly safe assumption to make, first off? Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I think there are, it swings and roundabouts, really. I do think that the American political marketplace is a bit more open uh, than it is in the UK. So, for instance, you know, you, you do have more people who are contemplating running for office, and you have a slightly more open framework. Well, there's, which more, they can do so. there's more offices to run for over there for a start. More offices to run for, absolutely. It's more, it's more out there in the uh, in the ether, and people understand what it is to, you know, run run for office a bit more clearly, and and also, you know, that, that you need to raise money, and and then whereas in the UK, uh, I think a lot of people see the the route to becoming a political representative as a bit more fraught, more obstacles, more about sort of passing committees or getting the right person to support you uh, within a party um, and haven't really thought through um, or seen how other people can kind of raise money to make the process easier. You know, that, that said, um, I think people are starting to get it. Uh, and, you know, we saw... Um, a couple of dozen uh, of the um, of the Labour MPs really sort of wrapping their heads around this early in the recent general election campaign, some of them raising non-trivial amounts of money. And for a UK election campaign, you're not talking about huge amounts of money, a limit of you know, roughly 15,000, sometimes a bit less, depending on which constituency that you can spend. Um, but people raising thousands of pounds, we had one uh, very interesting candidate who raised all her money on Crowdpack called Claire Wright, who's an independent, uh, the most successful independent in the UK, who last time came second to um, a conservative called Hugo Swire in East Devon, uh, and uh, massively closed. His his majority was about 12,000 last time, uh, and around 4,000 this time. So he still won, but she ran in very close, and she raised over 12,000 on her money. In the 2015 general election, I came second against Hugo Swire with 24% of the vote. And if I thought that campaign was buzzy and exciting, it's nothing compared to this campaign. In just three weeks, we have raised over £10,000 in over 200 donations. And I have over 600 people who are working with me across the constituency to get me elected. I've been endorsed by two tactical voting websites as being the only credible opposition against the Conservative candidate. 
Even Hilary Mantel, the prize-winning novelist, is backing me to win this seat. If I was elected as East Evans MP, I would work cross-party with other like-minded MPs to achieve my manifesto pledges. I would not have to toe a party line. I would be free to speak and I would be free to act on your behalf. Please vote for me on the 8th of June and I will do my utmost to represent you in the way that you deserve to be represented. Thank you very much. Why do you think her campaign was so successful? Um, I think that it was in large measure because it really was a people-powered campaign. Um, So, you know, she crowdfunded her money uh, from hundreds of people in the local area. Uh, She had hundreds of people out on the doorstep for her, Um, much more of a a kind of insurgent people-powered campaign in terms of uh, how they how they got out there in the in the constituency and the conversations they were having uh, with voters there just a huge amount of energy and enthusiasm uh, and she uh, is a very interesting person is very successful in local government has been leading an independent alliance called the East Devon Alliance in local government there uh, and has built up a um, a kind of ethic of service uh, which people take seriously so she and uh, her, her her slogan was um uh uh free to speak free to act uh so i think there's there's something interesting in that proposition of more independent minded and authentic uh politicians who are more responsive to their constituents which again i think is something that that crowdfunding can enable uh, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's also, I, I think one of the things you're seeing in public opinion is increasingly, um, particularly for anyone under under 40 or 50, uh, the old idea of tribal loyalties where you'll only vote for one party or party affiliation will determine who you vote for. That that is an idea which is starting to die, um, which means that people need to earn <laughs> uh, the voters' uh, support, uh, and I think that's a healthy development. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In an uncertain world, there is always music which can be listened to in good company. Welcome to Friday 15, the show where we speak to friends and interesting people to the backdrop of great tunes and allocate 15 minutes to both. I mean, I was eight years old, interesting, the same age as the uh, Dragon King's daughter when she comes out of the sea. But um, well, what was happening to me when I was eight years old was that I was at the hands of a paedophile in, um, in a classroom for a year. And... Awesome. Yeah. Um, for me, I... Well, and I think the reason that I somehow managed to, to win in the end is that, for me, it's about an economy of the three things that bring a song together. Catch up with me speaking to friends and interesting people every Friday afternoon on Friday 15, which you can get, of course, from a podcatcher of your choice. Hello, I'm Lucy, and this is Walkie Talkie. I walk my dog, Basil, uh, pretty much every day in a foresty bit of London. Um, I have been doing so for about four years, and I meet people that, as a dog walker, you talk to people. Um, if your dogs get on, you tend to just you say, which way are you going, can I come with you? And you just sort of amble along, and you can end up having the most extraordinary conversations. Partly because uh, you are walking side by side and facing front, so there's no embarrassing eye contact. If things get a bit heavy, if someone starts talking about something that they find emotional or difficult, then you can always divert your attention onto the dogs and relieve the tension a little bit. We've seen, as a group of dog walkers, we've seen um, people get pregnant, have children. We've seen people whose dogs have become ill and died and the owner says, oh, I can never have another one and then in a couple of months time they appear with a puppy and everyone's delighted to see them and um, we've seen people's marriages break down, new romances start. It's a lovely way to start your morning. It never fails to give me something something nice to think about, something interesting to think about even if it's not nice and having a dog is a sort of a, a universality really. The people aren't all like me as I hope you'll realise over the course of the series. 
leading up to the 1860 election, in walks a gentleman by the name of Abraham Lincoln, who is the Republican candidate. The Republicans to the South represent the ending of slavery. And Lincoln, despite the fact that his sentiment was always in the beginning to preserve the Union rather than to abolish slavery, becomes the lightning rod of anti-Southern sentiment. And he ends up winning the election in 1860 with no support from the South. The Guardian, Manchester, Tuesday, November 20th, 1860. Summary of news, foreign. The details respecting the presidential election furnished by the New York journalist, not complete, but they not only assure us of Mr. Lincoln's election, but show that the Republican Party has obtained far more than the requisite number of votes for his return. It is calculated that New York, Pennsylvania, the New England states, New Jersey, and the Northwestern states give him 171 electoral votes, or 19 more than the majority required for the election, the total number of electoral votes being 303. It is not improbable, too, that this majority may be further swelled by the result of the elections in the Pacific states of Oregon and California. We have no account of the manner in which the Southerners have received the intelligence of Mr. Lincoln's election. The next advices will no doubt be filled with fierce Southern declamations and protest, but it's not very likely that any Southern states will do anything mere than talk loudly about succession. Listen to the first show exclusively on Mixcloud today and subscribe to us on iTunes from Washington to Obama, 10 American Presidents, the new podcast from Royfield Brown. What would you campaign, would you say? Uh, let's do one American, one UK. Other than um, the campaign which you just said for the last election, let's say which current campaign. So it hasn't actually been, let's say, the funding goal hasn't been reached or the election um, hasn't actually happened yet. Um, Which kind of current campaign would you actually say, both sides of the Atlantic, um, would be a significant win if it came off? Well, let me see. Um, In the UK, there's actually a very interesting campaign. A lot of our campaigns in the UK have been issue-based rather than necessarily centered around candidates. Um, But um, let me give you a couple of examples of campaigns here. So one is there's a campaign that's running uh, to support the investigation work that um, the website Open Democracy has been doing around the political funding of the DUP party, which is now propping up Theresa May's government. Uh, And their investigations already exposed uh, a secret 425,000 uh, donation to the DUP's campaigning on Brexit, um, which uh, appears to have some uh, shady uh, forces behind it. It's still unclear where that money's actually come from. Uh, so they're at about 10,000 on that campaign, going for about 20,000, uh, and are breaking news stories more or less every week around that set of issues. Um, there's another um, uh, handful of campaigns that we've been discussing with people uh, uh, which are targeting the next general election, whenever that might be. Uh, And in particular, um, uh, there's a lot of energy in the labor world right now around going and um, 
taking out some of the leading conservative politicians whose majorities are now very slim. Uh, people like Ian Duncan Smith, whose majority is two and a half thousand now um, in Chingford, uh, or Amber Rudd, whose majority is less than 500. Uh, so people are about to launch crowdfunding campaigns to do organizing, social media advertising in those areas before there's even uh, an election called uh, to run long campaigns or permanent campaigns. Uh, and so I unlike that's very interesting. Just, just very quickly then, Paul. So if I go onto a traditional kind of crowdfunding platform, there mm. is always some kind of time limit. Are you saying that basically there isn't necessarily one on CrowdPack? Not necessarily, no. Um, I mean, you know, quite often we'll see the majority of the uh, of the action happen within a month or two. Um, some campaigns might run run a bit longer, but we like to maintain some flexibility. We also have the ability for people to run pledge campaigns so that the money is only released uh, when a particular condition is met. Uh, traditionally, on a crowdfunding site. That, that will be a uh, money-based goal. So if we raise 50000 we will we will launch this thing. Um, but with us, uh, we can set a variety of different conditions which will release funds. So, for instance, one of the most uh, media-worthy campaigns that we ran in the and uh, that we supported in the U.S. Uh, last year was around Donald Trump's tax returns. So that a young decorated Marine who launched a campaign challenging Trump to release his tax returns um, uh, with the money pledged to the campaign going to veterans charities if if he would release the tax returns. It was sort of a shaming him into it uh, campaign, which ended up getting a lot of coverage on Rachel Maddow a couple of, couple of weeks in a row uh, and all over the US and played a role in, in surfacing that um, uh, issue. Obviously, Trump didn't release his tax returns, but it got a lot of play and a lot of the uh, people who pledged money to the campaign ended up making donations to those veterans charities after all. So that's an example of the kind of the innovative way in which we can use the tools sometimes to serve as a public issue. One of the things which I've always just never been able to understand about American politics is gerrymandering and how happy uh people on both sides of the political divide, though less so Democrats now, seem to be are happy with, you know, with that practice. Kind of interestingly, I saw on, on the US site that Arnold Schwarzenegger has actually put up a campaign on CrowdPack to try and mm. terminate gerrymandering. If this was to happen, and it got all the way to the, the, to the Supreme Court, um, what better... Um, what better single issue could you actually have to help go and publicise CrowdPack? Gerrymandering has created an absurd reality that politicians now pick their voters instead of the voters picking their politicians. The hell with you! You thought that every two years in November you're going to the polls to pick your representative, right? Wrong! You cold-blooded bastard! In California, the system was rigged so bad that between 2002 and 2010, we held 265 congressional elections. Guess how many districts changed party hands? Only one! Using gerrymandering, our politicians drew their district lines so safely that even while congressional approval ratings went sometimes down into the single digits, they couldn't lose. The former Soviet Politburo had more turnover than California politics. You really believe that you're inside a movie. But 
we fixed it. We took the power of drawing the district lines away from the politicians and gave it back to the people where it belongs. And we have proven that gerrymandering can't be permanently terminated. Share this video if you think it's time to end gerrymandering in America and to make our politicians sane again. We are tremendously excited about this campaign um, for a whole series of reasons. I mean, obviously, Schwarzenegger is a, um, is a fantastic um, and very well-known advocate for the campaign, um, who's increasingly been doing um, a wide variety of, uh, of pretty impressive uh, campaigning. Uh, and by the way, you know, he's, he's a Republican, right? Absolutely, uh, yeah. So the fact that we're an open platform uh, where, you know, there's a lot of people who say technology, uh, political technology needs to be part of that only, and anyone who will work with people across divides uh, is somehow um, you know, committing a, a great crime. Uh, you see this particularly on the, uh, on the left. But the value of having somebody like um, uh, Schwarzenegger championing this practice of gerrymandering, which has been <laughs> driven primarily by Republicans, let's be clear, um, uh, is, is fantastic. Um, uh, so, you know, they are aiming to, with that campaign, hire uh, lawyers who then will argue uh, a case over the, the gerrymandering in Wisconsin and then uh, in a bunch of other states. Uh, in front of the Supreme Court. And um, I mean, this is a relatively recent campaign, but I'm just looking at the site now. They've raised over 40,000 towards their initial goal of 150,000. And uh, Schwarzenegger is personally matching every contribution. So I think that means they are, they are over 80,000 now in terms of how much is in the kitty. So, you know, that, that's really interesting example of how a public figure can end up teaming up with thousands of citizens all over the country to surface and challenge an issue which people had thought was, you know, just, you have to be pessimistic about this. It's part of the rules of the game. It's rigged, but there's nothing you can do about it. And I think increasingly in this moment of political revolution uh, across the West and, and all around the world, people are starting to uh, challenge some of those fundamental assumptions uh, that's a dangerous thing, and not all of the challenges, not all of the successful campaigns have, in my view, been been great or healthy, uh, but it's also a moment in which things can really move and shift, uh, and what we want is for citizens themselves, rather than uh, top-down, unaccountable uh, billionaires, uh, to to be driving this change. Uh, and, the, and the question for somebody like Schwarzenegger in that context is, you know, is he is he being of service? You know, is he is he fulfilling a public uh, purpose which most people would agree with? Um, uh, and is he accountable in the way in which he's engaging in this campaign? And, and thus far, the signs are good. Other than the Koch brothers and the vested interests of um, of, of, of big capital, um, what and who are you, you know the potential icebergs on the horizon? For an, an organization, an organization like CrowdPack, who are your competitors? Well, we think of ourselves as really doing something quite unique um, in combining uh, a real focus on political crowdfunding uh, with uh, a broader offer let, around Paul, information let, let, and data Paul, let, and all that sort of thing. Let, let, let me let me yeah. put this another way. Um, Political lethargy, would that be? Yes. 
would that be the answer? Because I mean, we, we are living that, in somewhat yeah. of a rarefied time if we look at the last 30 years, whether it's either side of the Atlantic where politics has burst forth back onto the landscape in a way that it didn't in the, the days of, mm. uh, let's say, Tony Blair or, or you know, even Bill Clinton. You know, because there is such a partisan divide on both sides of the Atlantic that, you know, there are, there, there are angry right-wingers, left-wingers, etc., railing against the system. Um, this seems to me like the absolute ideal time to raise, to, you know, to create something like Crowdpack. But, you know, if we have more consensual politics, does that mean that the heat, uh, sorry, so that the hot air comes out of the balloons, so, so to speak? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the way I look at this, I got into this work... Uh, around the turn of the century, um, uh, around 2000, uh, at a time when um, there was a lot of angst about uh, democracy becoming hollowed out, uh, about uh, turnout rates dropping significantly, uh, about the disappearance of uh, political disagreements uh, and a, a fairly bland consensus and you know, technocracy taking over uh, there's a famous essay by Philip Gould, who was one of the architects of New Labour, uh, called The Empty Stadium, which he wrote after the disaster of Iraq, um, uh, where he was expressing his frustration and concern about the way in which democracy was becoming hollowed out and the need for a richer, deeper, more participatory democracy. Uh, and um, there's also, I'm a big fan of the Brazilian philosopher Roberto Unger, who talks about high energy democracy, uh, democracy in which significant public issues are uh, thrashed out, argued through, in which people are constantly looking for ways in which to improve the way in which society is organized and designed, uh, or to solve major social problems rather than sweep them under the carpet. Uh, you know, the reality is right now we have child poverty still at roughly 17% in the UK, rising to 25%. Uh, you have uh, healthcare reform, which just failed in the US Senate, uh, which was going to uh, make, you know, over over 12 million people, possibly 15 plus million people uh, lose their healthcare, um, uh, but which was stopped through people power. Uh, you have the crisis of climate change, you have the crisis of intergenerational uh, equity, what's going on with housing, uh, with rents, uh, with pensions, the, the collapse of the social contract, uh, terrorism, conflict. You know, th there's a lot of going on uh, in this world, and I find it uh, encouraging uh, that we are starting to have a more serious engagement about you know what's what's working and what's not working i find even the um successes of trump and brexit uh which both of whom i which i'm uh, i'm broadly against uh, uh for a whole series of reasons those campaigns won because they put their fingers on significant underlying social problems which an establishment was failing to confront uh, in the economic structure, in inequality, um, uh, in community, you know, the opioid crisis in America was a significant part of his campaign, actually, and of his rhetoric. 
Now, you know, do I think that Trump and most of the Brexiteers have the answers uh, to these problems in the longer term? No, but I think that the argument that's opening up now, it's harder for people to ignore politics. uh, And a lot of people find that annoying and scary. But I also think that politics is one of the only ways in which we build a better and more sustainable order. And this is a moment of political revolution when a new order has to be has to be built. Otherwise, we're screwed. And I prefer this kind of moment of crisis to sleepwalking into disaster, which I think was kind of what was happening before. Crumbs. That was that was a rather full, frank, and somewhat impassioned uh, answer, Mr. Paul <laughs> Hilder. <laughs> Uh, thank you for coming on to Mid-Atlantic. But just before we complete and utterly say goodbye to you, Paul, um, do you want to give uh, people uh, the URL of the website and, and tell them how they can participate? Sure. So in the UK, we are crowdpack.co.uk, France is crowdpack.fr, and the US is crowdpack.com. Uh, and, you know, get on the site, take a little quiz, find out who, who your political matches, um, have a look at the campaign. Uh, see what you might want to support Um, start your own campaign if you like run for office, it's all open to you yeah, can't wait to see the campaigns that that come out of this again Paul Hilda, thank you for coming on to Mid-Atlantic you can follow us on Twitter where we are Mid-Atlantic Show you can also follow the progress of the show by going onto Facebook by simply typing in Mid-Atlantic and you can see who exactly um, is going to be on the next time we podcast. I've been Roy Phil Brown. I'll see you all again sometime soon. Mm-hmm.